Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm supposed like to take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie? Look what I become. I'm the I'm the one. So, so our guest today is kind of a big deal, okay? I mean, if you go on YouTube, you're going to find his stuff. He's all over the place. He's loud. He makes people think. He pisses people off. He's got a following. Some days you love him. Some days you hate him. But no matter what, you're thinking about this guy. And he's got another guy, Ian. Uh, 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 Ian the a, Moon, a, a, Moon Lord. Lord. Yeah. Moon Lord. Shout out to <laughs> Moon Lord. I'm learning about you as well. You're 44 years old, which is an incredible age. Very, very good age. But let me introduce our guest, Tim Pool. Uh, his background, he is an American political commentator and podcast host who first became known for live streaming the 2011 Occupy Wall Street protests. He joined Vice Media and uh, Fusion TV in 2014, later working alone on YouTube and other platforms. By the way, this guy went from saying he's not a journalist, he's an activist, and he said he's an actor, he's a journalist, not an activist. He was a Bernie guy, he's no longer a Bernie guy, One, you know, he'll support Trump. So, so the best part about him, this is the best part about a journey that somebody will go through as you're getting your political ideas in place is to follow that journey to see how you evolve from you believing in this to this to that what caused that change i'm going to talk about that on top of that we have to discuss uh, uh, what happened with kanye west firing nick fuentes i want to get your insight on that and replacing with milo i think milo actually made the phone call we'll talk about tucker whether it was a deep fake what they're doing to attack him uh, your pat, your background in doing Occupy Wall Street, what that was like. We'll talk about Bernie Sanders, RFK, what Ron Paul said about you know John F. Kennedy assassination, Vice, what is going on with a five point seven billion dollar company potentially going out of business. But having said that, thanks for coming out, man. It's good to have you. Yeah, on. thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing doing uh, doing well. Well, I'm doing well. That's good. Yeah. How's Florida treating you since you've been here for like seven hours, eight hours? Uh, it's been okay. You know, car rental, I, car rental didn't pull through. So it's like we get here at 2 in the morning, and then I'm just like half asleep. Welcome to Florida, baby. I hear yeah. you're a big DeSantis guy, is what I like. Big supporter of oh, DeSantis, I, Jazz I mean, Jennings, oh, all yeah. of this. <laughs> I hear you're like in a big way. So we'll cover that as well. But for some of the folks that don't know, take a couple minutes, kind of share your background, how the whole thing from the beginning, you know, to where you're at today. Well, it all started in 1986. Back in, uh, no, I, 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 uh, I was born four, four, seven years ago. Mom and my dad, West Virginia. Yeah. Look down, not in, I'm from Chicago. Oh, Chi and uh, yeah, Chi Town and uh, Southside family uh, around the Midwest area. My mom's from St. Louis, but um, I were I, I started listening to punk rock music when I was a kid because for whatever reason it was popular, which got me more involved in politics. I think the internet got me more involved in politics. I'm a young teenager online seeing news articles pop up, reading about this stuff. And then I started working for nonprofits when, I'm, uh, uh, when I was around 20 years old, trying to do activism. I was, you know, listening to all the punk rock stuff made me very political. Started working for nonprofits, thinking, like, this is the way we're going to change the world. And uh, quickly realized they're just businesses, and they have a bottom line. That's all that really matters in the end for most of them, especially the big ones. And then uh, Occupy Wall Street started. I had been active in the hacker community. So this is where the activist journalist thing comes in. When I started doing this, I didn't care for whatever journalism was because journalism was corporate narrative garbage. They would ignore what the truth was. We'd have, uh, you know, I'd have friends who were involved in some kind of worldly geopolitical action, and the media would just be completely wrong about it. I remember I had a friend who competed in the X Games the next day on the front page of the paper, completely wrong about what happened. And I'm just like, I don't know whatever that is I am not involved with. 
So me, you know, when I went down to Occupy Wall Street, it was information activism is what we, we referred to it as in the hacker community, collecting and disseminating information. And then I was like, oh, that's what journalism was supposed to be. Mm. You know, so, so when, you, when you get those cross narratives and then you get a, 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 a media ecosystem that doesn't care for the nuance, just writes a quick, fires it off, you end up with, you know, like on, a, on Wikipedia, it says these things and it, it doesn't really explain the context of how these things end up happening. So, you know, after like six months, I have these uh, journalists say, you realize journalism is literally just collecting and disseminating information. And I was like, oh, well, I grew up watching a bunch of people lie on the TV for special interests. So that's what journalism was to me. Yeah. Right. And now it's like, oh, OK, I get that. I get that. But with um, increasing notoriety from being by Wall Street, being on the ground in uh, namely with Berkeley, the, the conflict between Antifa and right wing groups, I, I, I started gaining too much attention. You know, I went and went to Sweden filmed like a two-week tra- vlog covering escalation of crime and stuff like that. And then by the time I, I'm back in the United States after a couple of years, it's impossible for me to go out and film anything anymore. So this is maybe like seven or eight years into my specifically journalistic career. I'm having people run up to me in these, these, these moments. And instead of me covering what's happening, people are running up to me and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, they're I, running up to you doing what exactly? Oh man, I'm a big fan. It's great. Or yeah. running up to me and swinging at me. Oh great! Oh, yeah. so I'm like, so okay, one or the other. Yeah. If I show up here, there's no more story. I'm the story, mm. and so I, I can't do it. And then that slowly caused a transformation into commentary podcast. Because this is what I would do. I would go down and I would stream the Occupy Wall Street thing. Specifically, it was a 21 hour straight live broadcast where the park got raided, and I was there 21 hours holding up my phone. People were bringing me batteries to keep my phone from shutting down. And uh, I'm doing live commentary in real time as all this stuff's happening to, you know, millions of people. How old are you at the time? Oh, man. What was I? 25, maybe? Hell yeah. This is 2009 2011, so, 11. yeah, it's 25. And, and Tim, yeah. can I ask you a question? So you're, you're from Chicago. Your mom oh, and yeah. dad, like, blue collar. Your dad was a firefighter and your mom sold cars? Yeah, so, I, I mean, a lot of things. My dad uh, was a firefighter. He was a former Marine. He uh, also did, uh, I think, general construction stuff on the side, mm-hmm. obviously trying to detailed cars, whatever we could do uh, to make ends meet. My mom sold cars, but then um, around the time I was like nine, my mom put everything up to open a coffee shop, which lasted for about two years before not making it due to a lot of reasons, namely the corporate Starbucks, Wall Street came in there. Worse, government. Yeah, the, yeah. They, they tore up all the streets. On the, on the north side of Chicago, Great. and so there was no more foot traffic for a lot of these businesses, and revenue went. Great, and then and then and Tim and, and I, you left school at fourteen. Yeah, and then just yeah, I was, was I went to high school for like two months. You're just like I can't. I'm done. <laughs> oh, it's the stupidest waste of time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, you're it's, not advocating not graduating high school though. Absolutely. Yeah. Really, huge I love waste it. of time. Uh, th- there's this weird. Uh, uh, conflating of a high school diploma with a path to success it makes literally no sense locking taking someone who's 14 and saying go into an institutionalized learning facility which will give give you no real world life skills for four years Hmm. talk about wasting formative years what i did i was programming websites i was doing flash animation i was making video games i was playing music i was traveling i was skateboarding traveling around the the area of the city meeting people and expanding my horizons while my friends were locked in a box learning for the fifth year. So, like, I, I can't even tell you if they learned anything because the, the, the reason why I was like, I'm done with this, I remember going to high school math class, we'll call it. Teacher walks in. 
She goes, uh, t- turn to page 17 and uh, do those problems. And then walks out of the room. And then we're all sitting around like, what just happened? <laughs> and that was public every, school? yes, public every school. single math class was that. And I'm like, okay. And my favorite was um, sitting in a room in English class and having someone go, the, the teacher says, all right, everyone turn to page 47, and we're going to read the story for Mark Twain. And I'm sitting there, and then, uh, Jeremy, can you read? The encyclopedia, Today, Junior. And so I'm just like, bro, I could read this whole thing in 10 seconds. What am I doing here? This is wasting my time. So I just stopped going. I'm out. Were you living with your parents at the time? Yeah, with my mom. My parents were split up. And then uh, actually what happened was I'm 14 and they did this weird thing where they changed our schedule from in grade school. It was 7.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Then they decided for freshman year at the local high school, we're going to do 10.45 a.m. to like 5.30 p.m. And a lot of parents were upset. They were like, this means that in winter, 14-year-old kids are going to be leaving high school in the dark. Like that's crazy. And so it was, it was like a, a, a kind of a cultural shock for me at 14 because – You'd get out of school at 2.30, you'd go to the park. You'd, you'd hang out with your friends. You'd come home. It's 2.30 of the whole day ahead of you. School got out. Woo. Now it's like I wake up at 6 in the morning because that's what the schedule always had been my entire life. And, but now I sit, I'm sitting in my living room with my hands on my knees like I'm daytime TV. People's court is on. What am I supposed to do with this? Get to school at 10.45. Get out at 6. And it's time for dinner, time for bed. And so it was ridiculously stressful. And then after two months of... Insane nonsense, not learning a damn thing. I'm 14, I'm halfway to school, and I just sit down in the grass. I started crying, and then I got up and turned around, went home, called my mom and said, I'm not going to school anymore. What'd wow. she say? She, I, th- I can't really remember. I think she said, okay. Really? What? Yeah. Your mom was just She's cool with you supportive as hell in ninth well, I mean, grade? <clears throat> I went from being a straight-A student to a straight-F student from grade school to high school. And so my parents were already like, eh, something's not happening what here. What changed during that time? Like, did you have a life-changing event, a bad breakup? Were you smoking weed? Were you hanging out with some crowd? Were nope. you reading a new book? Were you uh, uh, into something or no? Nope. It's, really? No. Nope. Uh, in my life, I've smoked weed a handful of times. It just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, wasn't hanging out with a bad crowd. Uh, playing music. But I think the big issue was I, I, I'm... Since I was a little kid, my family's had computers. I built my first computer when I was probably seven or eight years old. It sounds impressive to the average person, but it's like I went to a thrift store, bought five pieces, and stuck them together like Legos. Mm -hmm. It's not the craziest thing in the world. Installed Windows on it. So my family's got CompuServe. We've got AOL. I'm online. I'm reading about the president. I'm reading about about the world. This is is Clinton at this point or Bush? This was, I think, I think this was Bush. Yeah, this is this is shortly after 9/11. I think, I, I, yeah, I think so. I think I was 14. It's shortly after, so I'm reading all this stuff online about what's going on. Not a whole lot, but I'm. Uh, I was. I was. Pro, I was uh, programming things in Flash. I was making websites. I was skateboarding. In my life, I'm doing all of these things that every day was improving. Learning how to use Flash to make a website, and everyone's like, "Wow, you made a website!" Making an animation where. I mean, they're crude flash animations like Newgrounds.com stuff, but every day I could see something more. I started programming video games within, you know, five days. I've made a rudimentary video game that's kind of like Mario Bros. a platformer where you play a little guy running through a factory and there's little monsters and stuff. These are things that were tangible that I could see were, were being completed. Then I go to school and they're tying my hands together and saying, sit down, shut up and do nothing. And it was, it's like being locked in prison. 
And so eventually I was just like, I'm not doing this. It's, it's, I'm, I'm done. You have kids? No, no. When you have kids, are you going to send them to high school? Probably not. <clears throat> no, probably not. I mean, uh, I'm not, I'm going to homeschool. I plan on having kids, mm-hmm. uh, but they're going to be homeschooled. Um, probably some kind of local pod learning thing. You want kids to socialize with each other, yep. but I think kids should be learning from adults, not from kids. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things that we do today as a society is we have children learn from each other. We separate kids from their parents like cows and calves. Then we put the kids in a box where they don't care for the teacher and the teacher doesn't care for them. And then all of their social interactions are predicated upon other kids, the, the behaviors of other kids. When I was growing up, my family at a coffee shop. All of my social interactions are with people in their 30s who are buying coffee and complaining about Republicans <laughs> or Democrats. Yeah. So here I am. I'm, I'm 10 years old. And I like all I want to do is buy Pokemon when it comes out, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to save it for the tip jar. But when I'm sitting there, the conversation isn't, "Did you hear what Billy said about you know Power Rangers?" It's, "Did you see what policy was passed?" I can't believe they're doing this, and that's the stuff I'm absorbing. Mm. The behaviors I'm learning from are adults in in semi-professional settings. They're at the coffee shop. They're writing. They're working, or they're playing music. My mom's showing me how how to manage the business and the finances. Then I go back to this is I'm like I'm like sixth or seventh grade, and all of the kids are imitating each other. So what's going to happen when these kids grow up? Well, I, I, I'm not surprised to find that I'm running a business, and most of my friends are just working regular jobs. They've they've not gone. I'm not saying it's a bad thing that everyone has to do it. I'm saying don't be surprised if you take a kid. You put them in an environment where they learn how businesses work and businesses run, and when they grow up, they're doing those things. It's, mm-hmm. you, you plant the seeds, those seeds will grow. Pat, you're a similar story, well, right? <clears throat> well, not 14, but th- there's a part of what he's talking about that, you know, he, he's got a very big, a good point. I mean, what we don't know about is the following. Tim, how old are you? 86 is what? So, 37. So you're 37. Okay, so we don't know what it is to be 14 today. Like, no. Think about it. We don't know uh, what it is to be 14 today and how you're fed stuff and you know, how you view the world when you're talking about, you know, you're, you're in high school and you're going through it. And, you know, we, we were at AOL chat. Like, I'm thinking 1994 was AOL chat. Mm-hmm. If a guy was on, if a friend of you was on AOL chat, hey, meet me yeah. in this room. And you would go and I was like, oh, my God, turn on the AOL chat. You wait like a couple minutes. So things in journalism is changing in, in a very different way. Think about today's Tim Pool. Tim at 14 years old today. What is that kid doing today? Wow. What is he, what route is he taking? What, what's pissing him off? What journey is he going to be going through where 20 years from now, the next temple you're sitting in, he's telling us about what it's like to be 14 in 2023, and we have to sit there and watch it. I got an 11-year-old, 9-year-old, 6-year-old, and a uh, almost 2-year-old in a month, and I, I talk to them. And ask them, so what, what, what do you learn in school about uh, politics? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And with Tico... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He can have a full-blown conversation with yeah. you at 11. Yeah. He, he, and he wants to have that conversation. Dylan wants to talk Patrick Mahomes. Dylan wants yeah. to talk sports. He's a sports guy. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens next 20 years with this. So even with you, like, you know, you, you interview a lot of people. You're, 
you're in the streets, they contact you. I, I'm assuming a lot of the 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds today that could be the next Timpos probably look up to you. They see what you did. Maybe some of them are watching the next citizen journalist. What do you think is going to happen with the how citizen journalism is going to evolve over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Well, so it depends on your definition of citizen journalism. The, the original definition was when an act of journalism was undertaken by a citizen. So when they started calling me a citizen journalist, it was uh, uh, an act of derision to separate me from the corporate press. Citizen journalism was a guy's walking his dog down the street. When he sees a burning building, he pulls out his phone, he films it, and then uploads it to Twitter. He never thinks twice. He goes on his, on his day. And, it, and then CBS says, can we use this footage? What they did was they took a professional or independent journalist like me and many others who specifically bought equipment, who make money doing this, who sell footage, and they said, you're just a citizen journalist. That way, when we would go to events, namely I'm speaking at an event, they had guys actually stand up and question that they had a panel of corporate journalists saying citizen journalism is not real journalism these people are not trustworthy you shouldn't listen to them it's just citizen journalism yeah it was intended to diminish our work undermine what you're right. doing now I, I would just call it independent journalism independent media and uh the corporate press is in absolute decay vice i mean what happened there what happened there oh boy hey uh, <laughs> unpack that for us because you you were there 2014 you know this company goes from 5.7 billion. Uh, uh, Rob, can you go to their YouTube channel real quick and then go to videos? Go to Vice. You know, they got 16.8 million subs. Do they? Uh, yeah, they got 16.8 yeah. million subs. Wow. So, okay, go right there. 16.8. And then go to videos. It's fake. Go to the videos. <laughs> it has to be. And then go to, go to popular. I, I'll explain it. Go to popular. Okay, so now watch this. Zoom in a little bit. Top most viewed video ever, 84 million, then 58 million, 50 million, 46 million. Keep going down. 39 million, 32 million, 29 million, 28 million, 26 million. I mean, I can keep wow. going on and on and on yeah. and on. These, didn't, didn't these guys do Fire Festival, the documentary they had? I think they had a list of... Billy McFarlane. How long a, ago are these dude, videos? Did you see the one on the top? Uh, the, the, Brazil, the world's greatest ass, the Brazilian one? I've seen that a couple times. Let me. Well, <laughs> that actually inspired you to want to go to Brazil to well, find I've, I've been there twice. Yourself. you got to find that out. Let, I, me just, let me just read these documentaries, and then I'm, I want you to talk and tell us uh, the story yep. with Vice. So... Top 10 documentaries, The Vice Guide to North Korea, 2008. The Vice Guide to Congo, 2011. The Devil You Know, 2019. The Vice Guide to Karachi, 2011. Heavy Metal in Baghdad, 2007. Big Night Outs, 2015. Teenage Exorcist, 2013. Inside the Superhuman World of the Iceman, 2015. Uh, the True Cost of Climate Denial, 2016. Inside the Michigan Militia, 2016. I mean, they've done some work. So what happened with these guys to go from... 5.7 to now bankruptcy. I'll give you a, a mix of conjecture statements from people I know who work at the company and my personal opinion. The reason I think if you look at their uh, videos that have the most views, like the biggest ass in Brazil from 11 years ago is their number four. Yep. Uh, a lot of these videos, I think it's because, one, I mean, some of these things are just overt sex. Yeah. Like, that's uh, yeah. kind of obvious. The first four. Yeah, the top four. And then even down below. Yeah. But uh, here's what happens. In uh, 10 or so years ago, YouTube was panicking because Netflix was starting to steal its audience share. I actually had a meeting with Google, and they said to me, Netflix is our biggest competition. And I said, if that's, if that's how you view it, you're in trouble because that's not what people are doing on YouTube. My, my view was it, YouTube is the place where people go to see viral videos, to upload content, and it's a social media platform. Netflix is a corporate channel. If you want to be like them, then 
you're going to lose all of this. Now, YouTube's doing fine, right? But what happens with, with Vice, Vice was producing these documentaries and putting them up on their website. They did not have access to the big corporate channels. They were outsiders. Well, so what do they do? They say, well, we'll put them on YouTube. YouTube's a relatively new thing. It had only been for like six years, been up around for like six or so years, and it was a way to upload for free. So if you're running a business and you, you say, I want to upload this documentary, market our brand and sell subscriptions or advertisements, I don't want to spend money doing it. YouTube covers the cost of that. YouTube started putting these Vice documentaries on the front page. And this is, this is my, my, my personal opinion, having been my experience. I'm sure there's probably more nuance to what happened. With nothing on YouTube that rivals Netflix and YouTube desperate to compete with Netflix, they were looking for anything that could be seen as long-form content. Vice puts up a documentary. YouTube says, put that on the front page. We need to compete with Netflix. Instant, 50 million views. Mm -hmm. That does not mean people actually were seeking out Vice and saying, this is the best content of the world. It was, this is what was placed in front of me. I watched it. It was pretty good. You ended up with a bunch of pretty cool things. Like, I always reference the Scopolamine documentary. I love that. That's one of my favorite ones. It's scary as hell. But which think one, about what it which is. One's this uh, one? the devil's, it's called The Devil's Breath. Uh, world's scariest drug. Go down a little yeah, bit, right Rob, there. on the left. See, the guy's holding those things. Mm. It's from Colombia. There's a leaf that, Pat, you blow it in somebody's face, and they lose all uh, self control, and they don't remember nothing the next day. That's, they're saying like the government uses it to make people do crazy shit. It's, that's one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time. It's, wow. But, but they're, they're, they're documentaries, it's a, it was a good show. Yes. Right? The yeah. original Vice show, which then got bought by HBO, it, man, it's a whole very interesting story. I think CBS wanted to buy it. Um, and this, again, a lot of conjecture from the people inside Vice who I knew who are high level. Uh, my understanding was that they had this hit on YouTube partially, I think largely because YouTube was recommending it because they needed long form, they needed long form premium content. Mm, the, the brilliance of Shane Smith, the businessman, is once he got those hits, he says, this opens the door to everything else. They started shopping around the show saying, look how many people watch our show online. That could be yours. I think CBS, I think it was CBS, I could be wrong, it's been a decade, wanted it. They said no swearing or something like that. Mm. And uh, Vinny, you're not going to make it. On I'm that definitely show, not going to make it. Right. On their I'm done. But this is this is network TV, and so their attitude was like, we can't be Vice if we're constrained and trying to be clean cut. HBO said you can do whatever you want. Yeah. However, I don't think HBO wanted to renew the show after the first year. And the story I was told, again, I'm being very careful here, was that uh, Shane, the CEO, just announced they got renewed anyway to create public pressure to force HBO to renew them because mm -hmm. they had announced all the renewals for next season. Vice was not one of them. And then all of a sudden the, the CEO comes out and says, we've been re renewed for two more seasons. I don't know if that's true or not. It's just rumors from inside the office. Maybe it's not true. It seems like a crazy story. And, but but I, I was explicitly told part of that renewal was the show is no longer the wild adventures of Vice. It is going to be a news magazine with a with with diversity. So we no longer want to see four white men. We want to see women, people of color, and so uh, explicitly for me, I was told that that removed me from the running from being involved in that when they hired me because I'm too much of a white guy. You should have just even, identified as a black woman. Boom, well, you Korean. got your job. I'm okay. Korean and Japanese. It doesn't matter. They don't care. They, they don't care. They say it, yeah. they, they, Vice never said this to me explicitly other than they want us to have more women and, and people of color. And then I'm mm -hmm. just like, hey, how about this? My mom's Korean. They're like, yeah. I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. Not Korean we'll, enough, we'll, buddy. Yeah. Not, I mean, you have, you have to look yeah. very, very discernibly to the, the white executives like you're not white. Now, I'll tell you this as an aside. When I worked for Fusion, they explicitly told me, you cannot be part of what we do because you, are, because you look too white. Have a nice day. It's racist. Nothing you can do about it. But uh, 
Long they story. straight up told you that. Like, yeah, hey, this is fusion. This you're is a great guy. You, you bring amazing information. Too sure. white for us, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. Tim, Tim, okay, I'm sorry. So, Tim, here's my, here's my question. So, you work for fusion. You work for Vice. Basically, they're telling you to lie and push their agenda. What's the, what was, was not there? Vice. A, not Vice. No, Vice was awesome. Vice was dope. Yeah. So, fusion was an, a whole different. Fusion started out awesome. And, and then, then shifted. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was there, was there a moment, Tim? Was there a defining moment or was it a gradual thing that made you completely shift and become the Tim pool we see today? I mean, I, 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 I think I've very much always been kind of who I am. My, my dad was more conservative. My mom was more liberal. So mm -hmm. we're, but we are very much like urban liberal Chicago family. Mm -hmm. Uh, the reason why I wanted to work for vice, I don't care for Democrats or Republicans, never did. I, you know, I voted for Obama, felt totally betrayed when he started bombing these villages. And I'm just like, it's just more war. I don't want, I saw Shane Smith, the CEO on, I think, uh, Colbert Report, and he said, look, we're not Democrats, we're not Republicans, we're just storytellers, we're trying to go see these things. And I was like, that's cool. Then I'm watching these videos on YouTube, I'm like, that's cool, I want to do that. So when I'm on the ground doing this live stream stuff, I'm seeing this, I'm like, this is clearly valuable, it's getting a lot of traffic, I don't have the best way to monetize it. So I went to a couple different companies, one, of, one was Vice, and I pitched this idea. Vice, after eight months or so, agreed and said, okay, we're going to bring you on and have you do this stuff here. In exchange for the live stream reporting, we will do hosted documentaries with you. And I said, that's great. We did a bunch of really big ones. I went to Ukraine, interviewed. I, I, the one I'm most proud of is I was the field producer for the North Korean Motorcycle Diaries, which has, you know, five million. I went and interviewed Kim.com, which was big for them, five million or whatever. So that worked for me, and uh, I was excited for it. Um, but just to go back to the uh, what what changed at these companies, when I was at Vice, they never told me, you have to say this, you can't say that. Mm -hmm. And with the uh, the Kim.com, the man behind Mega Upload, mm -hmm. which has what, 8 million views, mm -hmm. they were sitting on it. And I went to them and said, breaking news is happening. They've, they're, they're, you know, that's why when it starts, it says before the release of this, you know, this thing happened. And then they were like, okay, we'll add that to the doc and then we'll put it out. Like there was, there was, there was no beef. It was literally, hey guys, we have to do this because of this reason. They're like, we hear you loud and clear, Tim. Like, let's do it. The, the, the main issue was as they launched Vice News, things started to become more isolated, more spread out, less. When I first started, it was basically like I could walk up to the executives, walk in their office, what's up guys, fist bump, yeah. you know. And then within a year, it was, they're too busy, they got money from Murdoch, there's a massive expansion happening, you're going to be now dealing with this guy. And so my attitude very much was, that guy is beneath me. Having <laughs> me, who's bringing, who, who came to you negotiating specifically a new methodology and technology for reporting, now report to a guy who has no idea what's going on, has created clutter and confusion, and resulted in chaos. Who is that guy? I'm not going to say his name. Okay, but he's a guy that replaced Shane, or he's a no, guy No, no, no. He was a guy who was uh, <clears throat> uh, did he, did brought, brought in with, to like, manage. But did he come yeah. with a background? Like, you know, sometimes they bring he a leader. Oh, so they so promoted within the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. so they said, you're going to run this thing. And so... Uh, was he a guy that had credibility amongst others in the company or not? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. I mean, except for the fact, I think he got fired for uh, sexually assaulting or something like that. I don't know. Got but that, that, that's okay. another reason why Vice went woke. So people are at Vice, they know who you're talking about. The people who are listening to this. Absolutely. Let's, okay, they know who you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so he comes in, you're like, this guy's beneath me. So that was kind of like... He didn't the, know what he was doing. And uh, Define that. Define what it means he doesn't know what he's doing. He didn't know how social media worked. Got he it. didn't know how scheduling videos worked. He didn't know when people watched videos. Got it. He, he had a bunch of ridiculous ideas, and he was allowed to do them because he was friends with the boss. And that put me in a position where I'm like, Quite literally, the world where I grew up and the things that I've built are now, I now have a roadblock between me and the mission because this guy was threatening to quit 
This is what I was told. He was threatening to quit. So then they said, well, we'll promote you. So then I go to the CEO and I said, yeah. And I said, here's what I want. Here's what I need. And here's what I can give you in exchange. He says, agreed. I had three of these meetings. I would come back and I'd say, when I came here, I said, I want X in exchange for Y. I am not getting what I asked for. And he says, I'm sorry. We'll take care of you. Handshake. Shane's a great guy. And uh, the problem is, you know, what, what is it called? The Peter Principle or whatever? You, you, you start putting less competent people as they get promoted through the company to the point of incompetence. And so I remember one day I go to Shane and, I'm, and, and he's, he's pissed off. He's dealing with a bunch of, bunch of uh, stuff. And I said, I said, I need these two guys hired if we are going to do what you want me to do. These two guys are the only guys I know who have this expertise in mobile live stream, news reporting, field reporting. And he goes, okay, looks at this dude and says, hire them. Okay, done. Bye. We leave the room. The moment we walk out the door, this guy turns to me and goes, I'm not hiring anybody. And I was like, this guy is a huge waste of my time. So I remember it was, it was particularly satisfactory when I quit that company because that's just, I, I guess that's part of what happens. You know, you, you, you start expanding. It becomes more and more corporate. Then the CEO says, get something done. And the guy says, no. Hmm. Well, well, you know, you kept them around. That's your problem. And the guy ultimately got fired, I think. I think he got fired because he was uh, – sexually harassing women, but everybody knew he was. I mean, he got me too but it was legitimate. I mean, the stories I heard before it even happened was like, I don't think anybody liked that guy. PBD, but, let know. me ask you, based on this story, this seems to be a perfect case example from uh, barbarians to bureaucrats, no? Like, a bureaucrat yeah. was put in, he's a flag carrier, Shane Smith, CEO, how much uh, truth is that? Written? Well, you, you have to realize that the, the media spent, by the way, Shane at the peak was worth $1.6 When the company was worth $5.7 in 2017, he owned 28% of the shares. I think he's at $50 million today, but he was $1.6 at one point. Uh, and Disney used to put $100 million, hundreds of millions of dollars into Vice at one point, and Disney was going to buy Vice, if I'm not mistaken, at $3 billion in 2015, give or take. Again, these numbers can be verified on what I'm saying. Here's a part. On the, on the creative side, like if you look at all the case studies of different media companies out there, right, you have to look at them closely. So there is operators, there's creatives, okay? The, the creatives that have to operate and grow the company, there are very few of those guys. Like Musk is a creative and he can operate and grow a company, mm -hmm. right? Let's let's yep. face it. Okay, look at Shapiro, what a smart thing he did. So he's a talent. Mm -hmm. He's a brain. He's not duplicatable. This is a guy that was going to be the, you know, grew up wanting to be the Supreme Court, you know. So he says, listen, hey, uh, 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 boring. Jeremy boring you're, yeah. you're, look, you operate. You're also creative, but you're an operator. You run Nashville. I'm going to be over here in, you know, Florida, and I'm going to be creative, and we're going to make, make this work and grow the company. And then there's a the money, guys. That are from the Texas people. So when a creative gets to a point that he no longer knows how to operate, you have to step aside and bring somebody that's fully qualified to operate who can earn the respect of the talent that knows what they're doing. If you bring somebody that doesn't earn the respect of a talent that's doing the work that doesn't know the basic day-to-day -day stuff, you know how annoying it is to work in a report to somebody like that? Of course. It's the most annoying. Now, I don't know the story, so all I'm doing is I'm trusting what you're telling me, so I'm not in the inside. I don't have friends' advice, but... I've heard a lot of good things about this guy. I've heard this guy was a guy that people actually liked working for. I don't know the whole story. Him and I have never had a conversation together before. But uh, to go from that size to now where it is today. So uh, 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 another question for you with profile of uh, Vice. So you know when uh, you work at ESPN, they have a certain profile on who they recruit that does well at ESPN. 
They all stand up tall. They all got their shoulders perfect, stand up. They're six feet tall. And you just, hey, so uh, today we're going to look at the highlights of the Lakers. Look what happened with LeBron James and Antonio. They, they got a certain yeah. you know thing that they're looking for, profile, who they recruit, Columbia yeah. University, you know where you come from. Boom, you fit perfect in here. Mm-hmm. Profile for Fox, profile for this, profile for that. What was the ideal profile of people they brought into Vice? Was it r- Rebels? Was it, you know how CIA sometimes... You know, we got friends in the CIA. We've had a lot of them on the show here. Who do they hire? Preferably somebody that doesn't have maybe got some ties with parents. You don't have anybody you're really living for. There's a part of you that's willing to risk it all. You're not that tied to anything, that emotion. Somebody can there's, – there's these profiles you look at, right? What was the ideal profile of somebody they brought in vice at their peak, at their peak? I, I was only there for – I was like there, there for about a year and a half. I don't want to – you know, they had 20 years before I was there. But I think if you look at me, the obvious answer is – Hipsterish, post-punk. Was there a lot of guys like you in there? I mean, I mean, what do you mean by guys like me? Hipster, punk, you know, <laughs> like you know, because I'm like a weird, weird guy. But I would, I would say, uh, um, confident, capable outsiders. So, confident, capable outsiders. That's what I'm looking. Yeah. For. So, so it, it's 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 tough to describe. I mean, they have. Hipsterish kind of people. They yeah. had roguish people. Around the time I was, I was, uh, I joined, and this is obviously how it was going. They took the seventy million dollars from from Murdoch. I think it was News Corp or something, and then started firing the OGs and bringing in LinkedIn professionals, and that really changed a lot. You know, they had uh, without getting too specific because I want to keep people to their private, give people their privacy. But you know, there was like one guy who clearly would not be in a New York media company handling this part of the company. And with the company for a really long time, 70 million bucks come in, they ax them in two seconds and then go on LinkedIn and then find some professional from a, from a corporate you know, news channel. And now she's running the show. You know, she's that, running does that affect here. culture within the company? Oh, yeah. Yep. And I think, uh, yeah, I wonder. Um, for one, I think Shane Smith is a really good guy. Uh, anybody who actually was, was good at their job and uh, uh, was capable had no issues with him. It was the people who were lazy and incompetent that would complain. It's like, dude, that's anybody complaining about their boss. But I've heard nothing but good things about him, and he took care of the people around him uh, to a great degree. But as he starts rising up and the company's expanding, a separation starts to begin between the leader who has built the confidence of his people and now these subordinates who generate no confidence at all. So I don't know. What was your question again? I the type profile. of person. I, I, right. I was more looking at the profile part. So you said confident, capable, Well, like young, outsiders. hip people. You know what I mean? Yeah, are I, you are you are you charismatic, young, and, and and were a lot of people like you who came knocking on the door saying I'd like to be advice, or did they go oh yeah. looking? No, that was it. So it was more people wanting to be part of us. Yeah, Shane. Shane, okay. I think publicly stated it was a cult. That uh, I'm pretty sure he, he, he most big companies are though. I mean, Apple was a cult. Most of these companies that make it to that size, he, they have that kind of a feeling. I think he said something like when people started begging him to work for him, saying they would work for him for free, he realized he had something. Mm-hmm. And they, they, there was that Supreme Court case around interns that made them get rid of a whole bunch of the unpaid labor that they did have. But when I quit, every single person in media was shocked. Like that I knew. I'm not saying like literally everybody media was talking about. It. I'm saying like the people I knew, agents, networks, my friends. Why would you quit Vice? Wow, are you crazy? This is the company. And I was just thinking like, no, look where they are now. You know what I mean? I, I don't think Shane's unhappy. He's still worth $50, $80 million or more. He cashed out $30 million. He's, 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 he's got more money he can ever spend, and he said that. But uh, 
My Did you attitude. see the writing on the wall ahead of time? It wasn't just the bureaucrat that you were dealing at, with at, on a corporate level. You at saw, what you level? Saw at what level? But, but, at uh, what, I'm sorry. At what time frame? Like, at what point did you know the writing was on the wall? That I this mean, the changes that were happening implied chaos, right? The, the, we built this office, then a week, you know, a few, several months later, well, it's a different office now. We're going to move this office yeah. here. Now we're going to move it back. And I'm like, they're spending tens of millions of dollars on a $30 million in New York. Then they, they buy another portion of the building. Then they're planning on moving. I'm like, it doesn't seem like there's a long-term plan here. And the other issue was one of the things that Shane's really, really good at, I remember talking to a friend after I left, they have what's called the state of the union at the company. And this is a story as it was told to me. Could be wrong. He comes out and he says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we got our cable channel. And everyone, ah, and they're all screaming and cheering. There's pizza, beer, and ice cream. And so my friend uh, is talking to me. And uh, he says, I'm going to be running news production for the cable, cable channel. And I went, wow. So what are you, moving to Toronto? He, he, no. What do you mean? Oh, I thought you were going to work on the cable channel. He's like, I am. And I'm like, oh, okay, so are you going to be living in Toronto? And he goes, bro, why would I be living in Toronto? I was like, what you, it's a Rogers Telecom deal. It's a Canadian cable channel. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, huh? You see, what Shane was really good at was assumptive language. He said, we got our cable channel, creating the idea in the minds of the employees that Vice was the biggest and the best, and they were going to be on American terrestrial you know, cable networks. At the time, you know, it was Canada. It was 30 million you know, people at max and 20 million households. But the employees that I knew, well, they made the mistake of assuming they were going to be American cable television. So he was really good at rallying and boosting morale and making people think they were on the mothership of the greatest media empire on the planet, when in reality, it was like... You know, a nice-sized yacht, but you're not the $100 million yacht out there with Bezos on it. You're the, you know, $15, $30 million yacht that can carry 20 people. What was he doing before Vice? Shane? I don't know. I, I was only there for a year. I don't want to okay, act like it. You got know, it. But, but I know that— if, if you pull up the article I just sent you, I just sent you an article from uh, yesterday, Wall Street Journal. I don't know if you saw this. You've probably seen this. Uh, Vice Media nears a deal for $400 million sale. Go down a little bit out of uh, bankruptcy. No, no. The, let me just read at the top. I'm sorry. I was just saying to be able to read the top. Yeah. The media business is talks to sell itself to top lenders, Fortress Investment, and Soros Fund Man. Soros, Soros? Fund Manager. <laughs> oh, weird. Isn't that weird? Reorganization <laughs> Hold on. Hold that on. would yeah. wipe out other investors. Now look up $250 million debt financing Soros Vice. Stay on that real quick and then go back, go to, go to the $250 million. Let me just read the bottom and then go to that. Go up a little bit. I just want to see what else is. Yeah, right there. Right there, there is Fortress, $400 million. Nearly every vice stockholder, including backers such as private equity from TPG, 6th Street, and Mogul James, would be wiped out under the proposed organization. Wow, people familiar with the matter. Outstanding debts held by TPG, 6th Street would be impaired. As part of the plan, the people said the Murdoch family is a major shareholder in the journal parent News Corp. The plan seller, the company of its lenders, would uh, value Vice at around $400 million, uh, including debt. The people said a steep drop from $5.7 million. Okay, now go to the $250 million. Vice Media gets $250 million debt funding from George Soros. And that's 2018. And so this is debt funding. So what they're saying now is that $400 million valuation includes the debt he already had. So what, what does that mean? Not to mention earlier this, I think it was earlier this year, they got $30 million in debt financing. I, I imagine it might have been from Soros. So we're talking about, they're sitting on $280 million in debt. Is that Plus 400? Four. 
But does that $400 million evaluation mean that Soros Fund is buying the company for $120 million? Right, right. Because he's not going to pay he's his own debt back. Assuming the debt and... Right. Well. Or however much they may have paid back. So, th- so people point out the Soros thing, and I'm like, yeah, that was, that was four years ago. But, you know, my, my view of it was there was, a, uh, there was an article that was out, uh, came out a long time ago, and it was a little cartoon animation they made of Shane Smith with a frying pan and a book in it, and he was flipping it because they said that he was cooking the books. Mm. And uh, what they accused him of doing, and I don't know if this is true. Okay, I'm just saying this is, this is a big narrative, that um, he would do this very clever thing where he would say, this year we put a, million, uh, we put a billion dollars on the books. What does that really mean? Well, to the average person who doesn't know much about the industry or business or finance or deals, they think he added a billion dollars in revenue. When what he's actually saying is, we did a 10, 10 year, we did a 30 year deal. I love this one. We did a, I, I just, I just uh, gave a guy, I, I, this, this is what the casino does near me. They say, you could win $1 million if you enter this raffle. And at the bottom in fine print, it says $25,000 a year for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Great. So they're going to give you two grand per month. For 40 years, maybe the average age of the person at the casino is not going to live for 40 years, <laughs> yeah. but they call it giving you a million bucks. Very, very clever it's marketing. financing. Great All marketing. Really is marketing. But that, that's an annuity, though. Most life yeah. insurance, most uh, 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 lottery uh, winners get an annuity. They the, don't get the, that. The point is, though, yeah. when you, you are told, enter this contest for a chance to win a million dollars, and what they're actually saying is 25K a year is a very, very different you think you get a million no, dollars, no, what I'm, I'm buying saying, a boat. What I'm saying to you is, what they're telling you is we're giving you a million-dollar annuity. That's that's what they're saying. A- an annuity is, you know, when you win the lottery, if you win $100 million, if you take the whole thing up front, you're going to get taxed, what, 50%? Yeah, you're going to get 40. You're going to get 40. And you're going to end up getting 50 million bucks, let's just say, yeah. 40 million bucks. Versus you take an annuity and you say, I'm going to take this $100 million over a 40-year period. Okay, then you're going to get $2.5 bucks every year for 40 years. Right, so right, that's but, an option, but, and you pay less taxes. The point is... If I walked up to the average person and said, if you buy a raffle ticket from me, you could win $1 million, they're not expecting to get $2,000 per month for 40 years. They think my life will change. I'll buy a house. I get that. I, get so, that. I, so I, when, just, I just think that part, you know, there's a lot of things. I don't, again, I don't know these guys. I don't know what they're doing. I, my concern is a whole different concern. My concern if you, is. If you go to an investor yeah. and say, we need $100 million to expand and we just put $300 million on the books this year. Yeah. What do you think that investor is thinking? I mean, look, any savvy investor is going to be like, what does that mean on the books this year? But you, you, there was a clever thing that was being done in media in the 2010s, what was called um, ad rights assignment or ad rights sales. Mm-hmm. All of these media companies would take their gold standard brand they'd pay for. Let's, uh, let's, let's call it Splice, just a random word related to an unrelated company. And uh, they would say get uh, 30 million views per month. They would then go to another website that generate a, a click farm. You ever see those articles where it's like, you won't believe where the celebrity is now. Yeah. And it's like 25 photos. You click it, and then there's 800 ads and one picture of Tom yeah. Cruise. You click next. It loads a new page. That's click farming. That is the worst. And then you're oh. not, now you're seven pages in. You're like, I got to go. Where the hell is Tom? Where the hell is Tom Cruise? Where's Tom Cruise? Here's how it works. And it probably still happens today. Splice would go to that company and say, sell us the rights to sell ads on your views. And they would say, you got it. Splice would then say, the 50 million garbage views from that trash website are now a part of Splice views. They would then go to advertisers and say, the Splice network gets 
80 million views per month. Don't you want to be a part of it? The advertiser thinks they're buying the gold standard of content. What they don't realize yeah. is their ads are being assigned to a garbage clickbait website no one actually reads. Your beef is it sounds like, it, at least on the surface, sort of a bait and switch type of deal. But, like but cooking the book. But here's I think what, it's fraud. But here's yeah. what I love about about you know what you're saying, and a lot of people do that. They all did it too. Yeah, he, he's absolutely. Right. And by the way, there's another magazine that we were trying to buy six months ago. Tom and Mario know about this one here. We're on a call with them, and remember back in the days when people would buy fake YouTube views, and you know it, it, it would show you know, 17 million views. 17 comments. I said, dude, you did not get 17 no. million. And you could buy these views. I'm like, well, I'm going to go buy views. I'm going to go buy views. And then Twitter, you can buy a million followers for $5,000. And you're getting two retweets or one retweet, yeah. right? He knows this. This was running. Even when, uh, I don't know, with Gingrich or they did an Obama thing on his uh, followers, 75% of the followers on Twitter was fake or whatever the number was. This was on one of the elections that took place. But here's the thing. If you do that. Say you sell advertisers. There's this magazine that sold this show to a big phone company, okay? And I'm listening to the pitch, and they said, we got 28 million views. It's the number one show. It's competing with Shark Tank. I'm watching the show because I was invited to be one of the hosts on the show. I'm like, guys, I know YouTube. You know YouTube. This is how you're selling it to this phone company? Yeah. You're not getting these views. As a YouTuber, I know. Show me your AdSense on the back and how many, if you're saying this thing got 17 million views, how much money did you make on this? How many adverts? How did you get 17 million views but only 28 cents on revenue on this video? The point becomes that strategy that a lot of guys did in 2010s, and he's right, a lot did it. They did it on YouTube. They did it on Twitter. Today, you know what the advertisers are finally listening? They're learning. Okay, we'll test you out for one ad, two ads, three ads. Dude, we got no conversion. We're not coming back. And then if you have a reputation of people dropping you over and over and over again, all they're going to say is, yeah, these ads don't convert because you have just as much of a job if you bring in a sponsor to convert theirs, he knows this, as they do. They may give you hundred grand or two hundred grand or half a million dollars, but they're expecting, is this going to convert or not? But what if then you uh, get those 70 million views or whatever, disable comments, and just and then you go to a network and say, our show of 10 episodes got 7 million views each. Oh, we don't like the comments because people have hate speech. Well, if the advertisers want to do that... Then We're not advertisers. The, the network buys the show from you. I get... No, no. Well, then the network who buys the show uh, have to go in the uh, category of qualified morons. And that's totally fine. And <laughs> yeah. that's going to happen as and, well. There's a lot of them out there. Yep. And it happened <laughs> yeah. a lot. It happened a lot. No, you're right. It happened a lot. And a lot of people got money. And, uh, you know, let's not forget what YouTube did just... Two and a half years ago, three years ago, when they said you can no longer put the, thumbs you know, down. thumbs down, or when <laughs> Biden was speaking, the thumbs down yeah. was gone. You couldn't see comments were disabled, and nobody wanted. To leave. Even today, when they go on C-SPAN or some of these different places, comments are disabled. disabled. You can't see any of that stuff. That's a different story. That's because yeah. a lot. And yesterday, is something was posted on. Uh, can you go to Biden's Instagram? Uh, I think it was Biden's Instagram. Tim, I don't know if you saw this or not. They posted uh, Joe Biden. Um, on his Instagram about uh, job creation. I don't know if it's, uh, let me see if it's that or if it's White House. If I find this, I show it to you. It showed as Joe Biden being the greatest job creator ever in the history of America yeah. with presidents. And then all you have to do is go in the comment section. Ugh. That's all you have to do. Yeah. If you go in oh, the comment, there it is. I see it. You found it? No, not that one. It's this one here. I'm going to send it to you. All you have to do is go in the comment section. Oh, there it is. Uh, no, go to, not that one, go to, 
uh, uh, the Instagram one that I'm on is PO to you, uh, uh, POTUS, not uh, Joe Biden. Go to POTUS, POTUS Instagram, watch this. The comments are the best. It's the best. So go right on the middle one, right there. So you see this, look what it shows. <laughs> Jobs created by president per month. The GOAT, Joe Biden, look at that. Trump, terrible. Obama, Bush, Clinton. Yeah. Doesn't tell the whole story that COVID happened the last, you know, year of Trump. And then read the comments. Zoom in on the comments. Zoom in on the comments. Okay, zoom in. Go up uh, after him. And these so are not can... cherry picked. They're just okay. the comments. So, so here, trust me, bro. Here's what POTUS, but let's, let's first put it. Let's first read what the POTUS said. This is what happens when you invest in America. We have more work to do. But this is real progress. Source, trust me, bro. <laughs> now, show me a line graph of total jobs, though. Yeah. Uh, uh, employment rate before pandemic, 61.5%. Now it's 6 and a half. You're not creating anything. Society just covering it up. I would love for you to define the word create, the word created. Be, be created and restored are two different things. By the way, if I tell you 99% of the comments... Mm -hmm. There's a guy that says, trust me, I'm a Democrat, and you're lying. Yeah. He says, go look at my profile on my Instagram. I hate Trump. Yeah. I hate DeSantis, but this is a lie, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> advertisers. That one right there. Bro, this isn't even accurate. I'm not a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, there's 50 of these yeah. in there. That's not just one of them. Chart is a bit misleading. You're going to spend 30 minutes going oh. through all of it. The, the point, the, the great thing about what's going on today is the following. Here's a great thing. Uh, uh, remember that one song? It's Friday, Friday. Oh, I don't God. know. It, it, Worst it, it, song ever. Rebecca, Rebecca Black. Black. Yeah, yes. million views. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, why am I even listening to this song? This is <laughs> driving me insane. I'm listening to it's Friday. It's Friday. And, and then you're like, dude, look at the comments. It was like the worst dislike, you know, thumbs down uh, uh, video ever on YouTube. She broke the record and they interviewed her. There she you is. know, 165 million views. How many? She's not going to show the thumbs down. That's what I want to see. You can pause it because we don't want her to say, yeah. I now get the rights for this video. But, yeah. but the point I'm trying to make is yeah. the following. The great thing about what direction we're going, God willing, if we go this direction, the fact that Instagram allows for comments till today and doesn't yeah. allow them to... And, and they don't even do it yet because you could do it on Instagram if they wanted to block it. YouTube would block the comment section. Ads that they were manipulating, making money in 2010s. Yeah. Now you can't do it and get away with it. All of this stuff is getting in the direction of transparency. Hopefully, if they can pull this off, that's when you realize who's doing it right and who's not doing it right. Yeah, but, Pep, do you, but do you think it's like, because mind you, there there's a huge majority that believe everything that this guy is saying, whatever this administration is saying, he's the front runner and all that, all the lying. Like, if you watch the White House briefings, Tim, Corinne uh, Jean Pierre, she's just blatantly lying every single day about the border and everything. And not one, not one, only what Peter Ducey once in a while. She's, Nobody ever goes, excuse yeah. me, you're full of shit. Nobody's doing well, that. Well, she said the other day, the responsible thing the president had to do, it was not fair to have the kids stay home. Yeah. You know, the president made the right decision to let them back to school because it was hard on, you know, what, what are you talking about, lady, right, with all this stuff? No, the point, I'm, all the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. And he's talking about Vice and Soros. Yeah. My biggest concern isn't uh, uh, some of these things that's going on. My biggest concern is who's picking up all these media companies. Mm -hmm. No one on the right went and picked up Vice. Not at Who all. Who picks it up? Soros. Yep. yep. And then the more and more and more these guys pick it up, and now Fox loses Tucker, fires him for whatever reason, the son, all the... By the way, what is your interpretation of what's going on there with Fox and Tucker? I mean, I don't know. Just, just from what I've seen of the reports, uh, there's a couple different theories. Rupert Murdoch was threatened personally by Tucker because his fiance was saying he was a prophet. And then the, the wedding broke off and then Tucker gets fired. 
There's a... The fiancé said Tucker is a prophet? That was one of the news reports that came out. <laughs> that apparently they had a dinner. <laughs> then Rupert Murdoch's, you know, fiancé is saying, like, oh, he's a, he's a prophet. He's a genius. Oh, God. And a month later, he's like, you get out of my company. <laughs> yeah. I'm the prophet. Yeah. yeah. I, I think from a business perspective, if you own a brand and then you hire a personality <clears> and the personality is becoming bigger than the brand, any CEO is going to get rid of that, that person. It's a threat to their brand. That's, that's it. You I, think so? Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't I, know about that. I, I don't think know, Murdoch, I don't know any. Murdoch, uh, my view would be that Murdoch is saying Fox News is the company. If we're at a point where people are saying Fox News is doomed because of one man, that man should not be at this company, even if it means it hurts us in the short term. In the long term, Fox News needs to stand on its own. Yeah, you you have a point there, and the reason why I say I don't think any, because I think Kraft, Robert Kraft of the New England Patriots, for every. You know, one person that knows Robert Kraft, a thousand people know Tom Brady. And and he was very comfortable with Tom being the, uh, the show. Or Belichick, he kept those guys. And Jerry Buss, if you think about Jerry Buss, Jerry Buss was a playboy, you know, you know, in L.A. He was always at the clubs with the girls and all this stuff. He was a guy you wanted to party with. He was a big real estate guy. In 33 years of owning the Lakers, they won 10 championships. Wow. And he had the Magic, bigger than Jerry Buss. Kobe, bigger than Jerry Buss. Shaq, bigger than Jerry Buss. Pat Riley, bigger than Jerry Buss. I think there are some that can do it. Obviously, at this phase, I don't know the in, in, internal side of the story here. But to have a girl that you're dating <laughs> for her to have you. Man, he's a girl. prophet, <laughs> dude. It's a wrap. It's done. He's also yeah, 92 years God. old. so it's. But is it messenger from God? Yeah. <laughs> you know what Rupert said? I am God. Yeah. <laughs> if he's a messenger, I am yeah. God, right? Anyways, so, you know, we're going to see what's going to happen there with. Uh, but some of these Republicans or conservative, as much as they bitch about what's going on, and look what Soros is doing. Do you see how dark Soros is? Look at all these media. Uh, stop. Either buy him or be quiet and stop bitching about it. He's going to keep buying him up. You have money as well. So you're just using your money to buy real estate and other bullshit. You can also pick up some media to control your own narrative and competing. And you, all you do is 24-7. Yeah, but look what Soros is doing. Look what this guy's doing. We're putting our money on the line. Some companies are putting their money on the line saying, let's go play ball. Other companies are sitting there saying, look how dark he is. Put up some money. You have money. You know what Musk did? Musk took $44 billion and bought Twitter at the worst possible time. <laughs> at the yeah. worst possible time. And what did he call it? I'm running a freaking nonprofit yep. organization. Yep. Right? So these are the kind of, And by the way, think about at the time, who was Elon Musk dated, by the way? Low-key, who was Elon Musk dated? Grimes. Oh, my God. I mean, he's dated aliens. He's dated her. <laughs> he's dated everybody. Right? You know you think about, well, yeah. he is one. So. But, but the point is, look at Musk's life. Yeah. Okay. This guy's got an incredible life, and he chooses to go buy Twitter. Thank God. And then it hurts Tesla stock. It hurts this. It hurts that. And he doesn't give a shit because he's actually a freedom fighter. If you look at him now, you know. So some of these other guys, maybe if you're, you know, you think you think some other guys are going to get involved and want to replicate what he's doing. Like you know how Bezos was being a little bit vocal towards Biden like seven months ago. I don't know if you caught that <laughs> or not. And you think more guys are going to say, "Listen, guys, if you're going to do something about it, let's go play ball and put up the money," or just be quiet and stop bitching about it. I, there's, 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 I talk about this quite a bit. There's a lot of people who will act like culture warriors concerned about free speech and government who are very, very wealthy and then don't do anything. There are some people who do literally everything. Uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, I think his net worth is around half a billion or whatever. He not, not only starts a, a, a venture capital firm to compete with ESG to oppose it, mm -hmm. he's trying to run for president. He's I'm like, th this guy's outright yeah. like, I'm going to put 
Like Elon Musk. Like, we're going to throw it off. Respect the line. to him. And yeah, he's absolutely. a fighter. I love yeah. it. I'd yeah, vote great. for him. I'd vote for him 100%. Listen, no joke. Like, he is a better version of Andrew Yang. Okay. I agree. Yeah. yeah. You, you he's, on how, he's on steroids. He's on steroids. He's Andrew Yang on steroids. Yeah. Like, you know how Andrew Yang, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. We're like, <laughs> how big was your business? Have you had an exit? But I'm an entrepreneur. We're like, okay, cool. That's great. This yeah. guy's made money. How did you make your money? What did you do? All this stuff. Vivek's like, no, I built a multi billion dollar, you know, bio, da, da, da. And here's where I'm at right now. And he writes the books and he goes out there. And by the way, do you see how fast his Twitter and his audience is growing? Do you see how many people are looking at this guy saying, damn, this guy is great at explaining it. You know, he's great at breaking things down. He's, he's one of the guys that during this season, every time there's a run, a new star is born. I, I think this guy is a star being born. Just a few months ago, he had 40,000 followers on Twitter. You know, you know what his story is? He's working at, he's building this multi-billion dollar bio, uh, biotech company. The BLM riots happen. They come to him and say, hey, you should put out a statement or, you know, change your profile picture or whatever. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, for sure. Because he's like, whatever. And he puts out the statement where he, it's very neutral. Uh, we should come together and, you know, put an end to the violence. And we're, we're all Americans here. Apparently, they came to him and said that was inadequate. It was, it was, it was bad. And then within a month, he had board members resign. I'm probably ruining the story to a certain degree. He told me the story. And so I'm a man, here, here's my vision of Vivek Ramaswamy. He's just, he's an entrepreneur. He just wants to start a business. He wants to create something of benefit. He wants to help mankind. And then he starts getting beaten over the head by this woke ESG corporate garbage that costs his business money and friends. And he didn't even do anything. He actually agreed with them, but not enough. I think what they did was they went to a guy of tremendous intellect, means, and capability insulted him and spat in his face, and then he just wiped it off and said, you've declared war. I love, I love what that. he's doing. <laughs> yeah, that's Let so me good. Tell, by the way, you know, whether he does anything in this one or not, I hope he doesn't go away. Me too. Uh, he, he is the kind of guy that y the opposition doesn't want to debate because oh, yeah. he's super brilliant, Oof. sharp, history, and made money, and is an entrepreneur, and he's got a background, immigrant family story, all of that. The profile is a... Is an anomaly, yep. okay? And he knows how to deliver the message properly. Hopefully, he gets more intention I, and momentum. And, and, and not just that. He's, uh, I, I had him on uh, my show, Cult the Culture War Podcast, which is a new Friday show I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there and he goes, you know what? I probably shouldn't say this. I'm going to get in trouble. There's got to be some civic requirement for voting. And he talks about various ideas. Um, one of the ideas that we like to talk about is service guarantees citizenship. It's a, an idea that, is a reference to Starship Troopers. In this story, if you want to vote, you have to give two years of service to the community in some fashion. Either it's it's not necessarily military service. It yeah. could be you know working at a library or something. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get Pat started on who he thinks should vote. But so uh, one of the ideas that Vivek brings up is uh, maybe when you when when you fill out your selective service card, you get a voter ID, and yeah. that is the bare minimum requirement. You 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 fill this out. You don't have to fill it out. You could, you could say, you know what, I'm not going to sign up for selective service, and men or women are both required to, but when you do, now you can vote. There's got to be some standard. I'm like, that's a particularly brave thing to say yeah. if you genuinely believe yeah. it. I think when he was talking to me in an open format, just what do you want to do, why he wants to do it, it felt real, it felt genuine. I, I could feel the emotion of, I'm like, they, 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 they figuratively spat on this guy. Who, who, and now he said, then I, I will return fire. I will, I will go to war with you. And he's speaking about what he genuinely thinks and believes. I told him this. I said, look, I don't think you're going to win. Yeah. But I do think you're going to make the conversation better. 
And I do think you're going to positively uh, change this country by standing up on a debate stage, saying everything you just said and making DeSantis or Trump answer to it. Do you so, think he'll so make funny it you're on saying the, this? I was just going to say that, Pat. Do you way, think he'll make it on the stage? Let's get into that part. But it's funny you're saying this. I did this video in 2014, April 15, 2014. Rob, if you can pull it up on uh, YouTube to show it to him, and I broke it down. And so many people were pissed about this video. It was a video titled, Earn the Right to Vote, okay? Uh, Earn the Right to Vote, and everything was about you. I don't care if you're 40 years old, 20 years old, or 14 years old. I think a guy that's 14 years old that's paying tax. We don't need to play the video. I'm not going to do this here. Nice jersey. I don't care if you're 14 years old and you're paying taxes. You have more right to vote than a 26-year-old staying at home who's never paid taxes. You can't vote. So it became... You have to pay a minimum of amount of taxes to have the right to vote. I like that. You know, and then if you did a few things, your vote is actually two votes. Meaning, oh, wow. if you serve the military, you get an additional vote. If you do this, so the more you contribute to society, I love that. The more of a voice you have, the less you contribute to society, the more. As a matter of fact, if we ever ran a country, you know what our tax system would be? It'd be progressive, except the other way around. Oh, really? You know what that means? You know what it means, progressive the other way around? The more you work, the less you have to pay. The more you contribute, the less you pay. Because I'm thankful for you. We're thankful for you. But the less you use your talents to contribute to society, the more taxes you pay. So the people that don't use their God-given talents get taxed at the highest level. The people that contribute their God-given talents and go above and beyond, you get taxed the least because you're making our life easier because you're creating jobs for everybody. So Vivek's thinking... If that's what you said he was telling you about voting and all that stuff, he's going to piss a lot of people off. I love it. But I love it. I, Keep absolutely. lighting it up. But that, that's what I respect. I'm like, for a politician or someone who's running to come out and be like, there's got to be some kind of civic requirement, that shows a lot of honesty. Oh, Rob, put the link to this below. If people want to see it, they can go by. They're going to disagree with a lot of things I talk about. But anyways, you were going to ask a question saying, do you think it's going to make it on the debate stage? Yeah. So let's talk about that because yeah. I'll read an article and then I'll uh, – uh, 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 give it to you, Tim. So, uh, 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 ba, 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 uh, Wall Street Journal story comes out about Trump being afraid to debate. Okay, of course Trump is afraid to debate. This is Wall Street Journal, May fourth, just just a couple days ago, uh, and it says uh, reports suggest that Trump will skip the first few Republican primary debates because he is leading. His competitors are trailing, and he is scared of being up there. On the stage for two hours in an uncontrolled environment with a group of people who are grunning, uh, gunning, uh, gunning for him, while Trump supporters think in terms of wrestling and believes that attacking Trump will hurt their chances. The presidency requires a fight, and Trump should be challenged like any other candidate. Republicans who are soft Trump supporters need to begin to see that the American people won't let that man back in the White House because of the fraudulent attempts to sub, uh, subvert the election culminating in the violent uh, overrunning of the U.S. Capitol. Most of those around Trump know his problems, such as bad judgment, little understanding of history, and disordered ego. They're for him for their own reasons and believe that the Democrats and the media are worse. What are your thoughts on this and what's going to happen with debates? I think Trump has no reason to debate anybody. He's a big dog who's pulling at the top. But I think uh, maybe afraid isn't the right word. Maybe smart is a better word. Trump knows that if he gets on a debate stage with DeSantis and, and, and Vivek, it's going to be bad for him. Just in terms of he's already pulling at the top. There's no benefit. And even if he does well, it only gives them more airtime. That being said, my personal opinion is I think Vivek Ramaswamy would run circles around DeSantis and Trump at the same time. He knows way more about this. He's a fast talker. He's quick-witted. 
he, you know, Trump might, you know, oh, Ramaswampy over here. <laughs> I didn't come up with that, by the way. Someone else came up with that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's but, still good. But, you know, he'll he'll do the insults and stuff. Of course. Look, man, going up against Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, and, like, Rubio is not the same as DeSantis nope. and, and, and Ramaswamy. So Trump really should avoid that. Really should avoid that. If, if I was advising Trump, I would say, do not debate these men. You will lose. Because like, there is nothing to gain. You're the big dog, right? Yep. You got a 40-point lead. Why do it? And... I'm saying Trump could actually perform very well, but he just would not be able to perform well enough to uh, – he would just lose. He, okay. he, he can only lose from the – So that's your counsel. Now, what do you think he'll do? I think – I don't know, man. That's tough, right? Because what – you can go to him and tell him, like, you probably shouldn't do it. He, he probably will because he loves the stage. Oh, yeah. yeah. He loves a fight. Oh. And, and maybe he's hearing this going, like, then I have to beat him on the stage. Then I have to do it if they think I can't. It's not, I, I, it's not that I think Trump – can't win a debate with these men it's that it's 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 he's going up against extremely competent individuals who are going to you know who are going to put weights on his ankles and you already know the media is against him so if you if he oh, doesn't show right. up to these debates how much negative ammunition he's chicken he's scared remember yeah. like back to the future like yeah. the one word you couldn't call michael j fox was what are you yellow so all of a sudden yeah. he, trump's scared he's a chicken he's gonna you know he, biden's not gonna debate either no he's gonna stay in the white house like that's he's not gonna come out i think know. i'd like to see biden oh. debate rfk marianne williamson oh. i'd like to see yep. that i think I, I think we're i think it's we're in hot water negative territory if the front runners the incumbent president and the former president just do not debate whatsoever yeah. i don't yep. think that's a good look for either <laughs> candidate i think what the media has done to rfk and marion williamson is is disgusting but you know obviously i hate the corporate press so i despise them they're evil people so that's that's not shocking talking about corporate press chris hayes says cnn's trump's town hall decision hard to defend this is a hill story MSNBC's Chris Hayes criticizes CNN's decision to host former President Trump in a Lifetown Hall event next week, saying he finds it very hard to defend the choice to give him a live platform, no matter how it, dresses, how it is dressed up. CNN announced earlier this week that Trump will participate in a town hall event in New Hampshire, moderated by CNN anchor Caitlin Collins. Hayes warned that giving Trump live airtime poses a risk that he might give out personal information about the DA or say something that cannot be unsaid. MSNBC has previously opted out of live coverage of Trump's events, despite Trump, I think Rachel Maddow was the one that says he is speaking right now, but we don't want to have any of the misinformation. Oh, yeah, of course so not. We're going to tell not. you what he says, but we're not going to yeah. air it. Despite Trump's past criticism of CNN, he is reportedly looking to rebuild a media relationship as he runs for re-election 2024. Do you agree with Chris Hayes? It's a cult. These people are in a cult, and the cult is large, and you can't pull them out because they're on social media. But one of the most powerful tactics a cult uses is to separate you from external information. When you go back and look at all the news coverage of Donald Trump, you can conclude a few things. If uh, you come from my background, it's, man, this guy's kind of a dick. You know, Trump's a boisterous, loud uh, man. He's rude to a lot of people. But those things they claimed he did, he did not do. Mm -hmm. My favorite example, one of the earliest, is when they, show the, they zoom in on him and he throws food into a koi pond with Shinzo Abe of Japan. Then the media just goes nuts insulting him, saying how crass, how uncouth. Turns out they edited the video. So that you could not see Shinzo Abe dumps the, the food in the koi pond and then Trump nods and then does the same thing. And that seemingly innocuous. But the, the goal was every step of the way they were falsely representing what it is Trump said or did to create a, an, an, an impression in someone's mind that was not Donald Trump. He's a lot of things. 
But uh, the best example, of course, is Joe Biden launching his campaign on what we call the very fine people hoax, where Donald Trump said, you know, in Charlottesville, there were uh, very fine people on both sides. And I'm not talking about the white nationalists and the neo-Nazis because they should be condemned totally. But you had some people who thought the statue should not be torn down. What does Joe Biden do? Completely alters the context, puts up a fake video to to lie to people. So then you end up with people like Chris Hayes. He's in a cult. Uh, he might actually be uh, um, an orchestrator of the lies, probably is. But when he goes out and says, you should not hear what this man has to say, don't trust people who say that. I will tell you this, anybody listening, you should hear what everyone has to say. Make the decision for yourself. I'm not your boss. I'm not your leader. I'm just some dude on the internet. You can hear what I have to say. You can tell me I'm wrong. You can insult me and call me all the names in the world. I respect that. Anybody who tells you, no, 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 don't listen to that guy, they're probably tricking you or lying to you. Yeah. And so, Sam, when you say, that, like, cause I, you were on, I think Brian Sharp was on your podcast. He talked about the evil group of people that are secretly controlling the world. Do you think, as we said, that? Spoke, yeah, I think, I think you did. Who did that? Uh, you, uh, Brian Sharp was on your, on your, on your podcast. Just about evil people running the world. You, you mentioned, when you said evil about these people, do you think it's just generations of families that are just keeping this power, or is it genuine evil that is out here? Because I, oh, I don't think it's generations of families. I think there is a, a, an emergent effect that exists throughout humanity where people inherit seats of power. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the way I've described it is you can have a president who seems hopeful and seems fantastic. The moment they sit down, they're handed a stack of papers by the deep state, by the CIA, and they go, oh, okay, now we're going to keep blowing up kids in the Middle East. Yeah. So, you know, one, one of the things I think, especially now with the narrative from Tucker Carlson and Ron Paul about JFK being assassinated, the joke I've made is that the president gets in to, uh, you know, to office and then he says, I want to end this war. And then, you know, his head of uh, the CIA just slides a photo of JFK right onto his desk and says, no, you don't. Wow. And then he's like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. Yeah. But that's what uh, Tucker says. So when, when, you know, Media Matters loves to pull things out of context and then lie, obviously, they do it all day. It's what they do for a living. Here, I'll read the quote. Not that it's not a censorship question and people expect me to say Jews or something. No, I'm talking about like the Davos group, powerful corporate interests. These are people of all different backgrounds. So, I mean, like, what, what is the implication here that they're trying to, to put on me? I'm quite literally saying this was this was related, I think, to Kanye West. Mm-hmm. I'm like the idea that it's it's Jewish people who are doing these things is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Because there's, uh, we looked up the banks and like the CEOs of all these big banks are like white Irish guys. Yeah. And I'm like, people just want to find a group of people to blame. But what I think it is, Disney, who currently runs Disney, uh, Bank of America, who currently runs, someone works a job, they get the promoted or appointed, and these people then just follow like cogs in the machine, something that is the banality of evil. So there's malicious evil, there's the banality, banality of evil. I think someone like Ocasio-Cortez is maliciously evil in that she intentionally decides to cause pain and harm to people. For example, she told a story about January 6th where she said someone knocks on her door, she goes and hides in the bathroom, she's thinking they got to my office, you know, I'm going to die. She hears someone say, where is she? Where is she? Turns out it was a cop and they were evacuating the building. What ends up happening is conservatives come out because many of them don't do their, their research. And they said, hey, wait a minute, AOC's office isn't in the Capitol. The media then does fact check. There are tunnels that connect the Capitol to AOC's office. That's why she was scared. And then I come out and say, double fact check. The story she told took place one hour before the Capitol was breached. She made the whole thing up. 
I'm sure a cop went to her. I think a cop did go to her office, did knock on the door, did say, where's AOC? And that was because they were evacuating that particular building an hour before anyone breached the Capitol. And it was over the pipe bomb scare. So when she tells a story and says, they got me, they found me or something like that, she is lying to you. She intentionally chose to, to, to lie. Now you've got the story of uh, uh, the, the, the guy who had 40 arrests, who kidnapped a little girl, who punched a 64-year-old man in the face, who broke a 67-year-old woman's nose, who threatened people on a train saying, I'll hurt anyone and I don't care if I go to jail. And three people, three New Yorkers said, we must subdue this man. And in the process, the man lost his life. What is AOC now doing? Demanding the victims go to prison. I think that's maliciously evil. Now, back to the evil group of people ruling the world. I think it's more the banality of evil Mm -hmm. in that it is a commonplace, it is destructive, And the funny thing is, if you actually took the conversation that Media Matters is so upset about and brought it to your average leftist, they would completely agree. Corporations are gutting the earth. They're destroying our forests. They're causing massive pollution. Yet when I say it, they try to frame it as though I'm referring to some conspiracy or cabal. Yeah. Vinny, did you have a follow-up no, no, to that? No, 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 that was great. Look, I, lo- I love it because yeah. that's because I mean we were talking about the spirituality of it, like even with Tucker, Tucker's last speech. Well, I forgot where he was, Pat. What dinner? Where he was just like, listen, I, you know, there's negative people out there, and it's like you got to protect our kids and this and heritage, heritage, heritage. Yeah, yeah and it was. It's all about to me. It's just a battle of good and evil. And I think I think you make a great point. Well, so 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 let me let me ask. Let's talk about Jazz Jennings. You've been, you've been oh, on yeah. this Jazz Jennings things, and oh yeah, and I got you know, some choice words for if, the DeSantis if, people. If you want to, uh, Tim, if you if you want to just go from the beginning uh i i this morning i watched uh, her video from 11 years ago i don't know if you've seen her video from 11 years ago go type in uh, go on youtube and uh if you go on youtube and if, for some of you watching this that you don't know who jazz jennings is go to youtube and type in jazz jennings and then go solve for views um go solve for views something should come up with 11 million views go yeah go to filter views something should come up with 11 million views or so let me see how many Go down a little bit. Go down. Uh, it's a CNN store. It's 11 years ago or 10 years ago. Go up the other way. Go up, go up, go up, go up, go up. That one right there, te- teenager, 11 years old. Yeah, ABC. So, you know, so that one right there I watched this morning. And the way she pitches it, you know, at six years old, she knew she was, a, you know, he knew he was stuck in a, a man's body and it was a she. And then mom and dad supported her going through the transition and, you know, and then she takes all these pills and everything, and she see, you know, mermaid. She swims like mermaid, but it's a boy. This, 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 this guy is now. So parents supported that. Anyways, take it from here to where it's at today. He's now put on hundred pounds. I think he weighs two hundred forty pounds, two hundred thirty pounds. He responded to a lot of comments that yeah. were said on her channel. Matt Walsh, Shapiro, mm-hmm. a bunch of other guys. What's your biggest frustration with Jazz Jennings and? DeSantis in Florida. Mm. So the simple version is I think Jazz Jennings is the victim of severe psychological and physical abuse from uh, her family. I don't, I don't mind using you know, pronouns for someone like a, a, for a trans person. I have friends who are trans. The pronoun thing is nothing to me. Uh, Jazz, you, you can't be six years old and decide to permanently sterilize yourself. And that's what happened with Jazz Jennings. Jazz will never have children. Jazz underwent puberty blockers and uh, hormone replacement therapy, which resulted in an inability to reproduce and actually have what I would just keep family friendly and call adult sensation. Uh, the left likes response saying, how weird that you would bring that up, bro. I'm not here to be shamed. I don't care. Um, my, I'm, we're talking about the future of this country and what we are determining to be a good or bad thing. So, so if you watch the videos of... Uh, well, let me, let me slow down. Jazz Dennings was three years old, and they said they thought Jazz was trans at six. Jazz says, obviously, you mentioned I'm trans. Uh, 
I, I believe at seven years old, they're showing jazz off and, and, and the family's doing press and stuff like that. Jazz, the puberty blockers prohibit the, develop, the adult development of a human being in terms of their uh, sexual characteristics, which results in a bunch of very, very serious and severe complications. The, the reason this uh, has become more pronounced in terms of, like, the reason why we're talking about it now, several years ago, when discussing the issue of, of kids and trans kids, uh, I talked about how I felt jazz would eventually come out and be, bio, uh, and be what we would, des- would describe as a straight male or something to that effect. What happened was jazz before the age of puberty was saying on TV and things like that that uh, she was attracted to boys. After this age, around 13 or 14, Jazz says, I'm pansexual, I'm attracted to everybody. Today, Jazz is dating women, at least according to the reports. I'm unsurprised to hear that. Jazz is biologically male. I'm not surprised that a biological male is attracted to females. That's 98% of biological males. So when you look at a story like that, then you go back to the story of John Money. John Money was, uh, uh, I, I, I don't even know what to call him. He, took, he was a doctor who took two children. Sick name, by the way. Uh, John this Money? Is, this is a horrifyingly evil man who tortured children. Okay. He, not a good uh, guy. Not, not, not a good guy at all. He, there, were, <laughs> there, were, there were two children, David Reimer, of course, and I think um, uh, his bro- David and uh, I forgot the brother's name. So they were, they were twin boys. Uh, one had a botched circumcision. John Money went to the family and said, gender is a social construct. If we surgically alter the baby, we can raise this male as a female, and they will never know the difference, and they'll live a happy life. John Money then forced these young children to engage in simulated sexual acts on each other. They both ended up killing themselves. When you look at a story like that, you have some concerns about uh, David Reimer eventually committed suicide at 38. It's very sad. And his brother died of an overdose at 36. Uh, uh, so maybe they weren't twins. Maybe I was wrong with it. When you look at a story like that, you have concerns about whether or not we should surgically or medically alter children who can't make these decisions for themselves. If a six-year-old comes to you and says they know something, it doesn't necessarily mean they do. So I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. But now when you look at the story of Jazz Jennings, where we currently are, and my issue particularly with the DeSantis administration that wanted to make this a fight, I'll, I'll, I'm here. Uh, here's what happens. A video emerges more recently. Jazz Jennings has become morbidly obese, severely depressed, suffering from very serious mental issues. Jazz Jennings' mother says on the show that she wakes Jazz up in the middle of the night, grabs the dilator, lubricates it, and says, if you don't stick this in your vagina, I will. Now, let me explain to you what a dilator is. When someone undergoes what they refer to as bottom surgery, it creates a permanent wound that is not an insult, that is not meant to be derisive. It is, a, it is a fact statement. The wound attempts to close. Trans people have to use what's called an acrylic dilator with lubrication to force it into the wound to make sure the wound does not close. The purpose of this wound is so that men can penetrate it with their penises for sexual gratification. If, if jazz is not engaging in this dilation, I would make the assumption that jazz is uninterested in keeping this wound open. Jazz's mother is on television saying, I wake her up in the middle of the night and say, if you don't stick this in your vagina, I will. In another clip, Jez, Jez's mother says, if she goes off to college and that thing seals up, I will wring her neck. And a lot of people are like, oh, it's a turn of phrase. And I'm like, I don't care, okay? If you have a child, we're now an adult, who has undergone all of these surgeries, and Jazz had several complications, very serious complications, where because of the puberty blockers, sexual characteristics do not develop. You can then not perform an actual, what they would call a, a penile inversion vaginoplasty to, to create a wound for the purpose of sexual gratification of, of like if, if, if a trans person wants to have sex, right? You can't do it. 
I look at this and say, okay, look, I don't, I don't know where we draw the line on whether or not jazz as an autonomous adult is going to say they're satisfied with their life and we should stop there. I simply put it this way. If I'm in my apartment and I hear a man and a woman yelling and I hear pounding and, and yelling, I mean, you, you might want to investigate. You know, you hear a woman screaming mm-hmm. like, ah, you might want to call the police. I'm not saying you do every single time. You don't know what's going on. But I kind of I, I, I'm kind of concerned about if you hear muffled screaming of a woman and a man yelling at her and then banging and you go, I'm sure there's two sides to this. I'm going to mind my own business. I, 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 that's not me. That's not my moral framework. My moral framework is either I go knock on the door and ask him if everything's all right or I just call the police and say, look, I, sounds like this guy might be battering this woman. Cop might show up. And they were like playing a game of Twister or something, and she's playing a race car game. Who knows? Who knows? When you have a video where the mother says to Jazz, and this is part of the viral video that came out, you are your own worst enemy. Jazz says, I'm depressed. I don't feel like myself. I keep going negative. The mother says, I know you are your own worst enemy. I'm like, hmm, that sounds like psychological abuse. In and of itself, not that much. When you then have a video of the mother saying, if you don't stick this in, I will do it. Well, that sounds like a threat of physical force against a person who is rejecting this, this medical practice you're, you're imposing on them. If you then say, if she does not, I will wring her neck. You combine those things. and I'm like, I think this woman is severely brutalizing this, this individual. Does that not warrant the DeSantis administration to humbly knock on the door and say, is everything OK? Can we speak with you privately? It may be, in the, it may be ultimately that Jazz Jennings says, this is fine. You're blowing it out of proportion. Does this not warrant the DeSantis administration to say, hey, TLC, we'd like to see the footage that you have because you've been documenting this family for a decade because we're concerned about potential abuse that's going on. Instead, what happens is when I tweet this video and said, where's Ron DeSantis? This is all happening in Florida. I get a response from Christina Peshaw and Jeremy Redfern, the, the, the press people for uh, DeSantis. Ron DeSantis doesn't have a time machine. He can't go back five years and prevent this from happening. And then they turn it into this, how dare you criticize Ron DeSantis? You're a grifter who wants clickbait. And I said, okay, you know what? Here's where I'm at. I'm sorry, Christina and Jeremy and the DeSantis administration. I had no idea. If, um, if in Florida, a person can go on television and say that they're going to force a dilator into a wound of, of their child, and if they don't do it, they're going to wring their neck. If that is legal and acceptable in Florida, I am sorry I made the mistake of thinking there should be some kind of inquiry into whether or not that could be abuse. But my question for you guys, I suppose, is play the video and then ask me if you think this warrants a simple question being asked with a knock on the door. But with her, I'm worried about, like, her mental well-being and her dilation. The minute she leaves my house, we have a dilation problem. That is a concern. When you don't have that watchful eye, they tend to go back to old patterns. I have woken Jazz out of a dead sleep and taken the dilator and put the lubrication on it and said, here, you take this and you put it in your vagina. If not, I will. But Jazz is bad, even when I'm home once a day. How old is Jazz? Can you pause it? Wait, wait. Is that the mother right there? That's the mother. No, no, no. You got to play the rest. Keep the rest. rest. Okay. Goes away to college and that thing seals up. I wring her neck. Can you imagine? What a demon. Now, what do you th- imagine? <clears throat> Jazz Jennings. What show is this on? What channel is this on? It's TLC. It's called. I, I think it's called I Am okay, Jazz. So I got a few questions, uh, uh, legally questions I'm going to ask. Okay, I know you're going hardcore at DeSantis with this, and he's got a million things he's dealing with, and he. I didn't even go. I, I said, "Where's Ron DeSantis on uh, this?" I get that. Let me just kind of give you my side, and and trust me, if you're on, if you watch our podcast. 
some people would say we're not a DeSantis podcast because I challenge uh, hardcore marketing, book launch. Anyways, I'm not going to go there. All I'm saying to you is, so number one, TLC has a legal team, okay? Before TLC thinks this is okay to put up, their lawyers have to say, no, we can't put this or else it's going to be a lawsuit, okay? So every, every media at that size is going to have something like this. Like when you publish a book, you've done this before where, you know, the Simon & Schuster lawyers will come out and say, yeah, this story, you, you have to use a different name. You can't use this person's name because it's going to be a lawsuit. We want to have nothing to do with it. Okay, great. So you can go independently, you know, launch it or you can go through them. But their lawyers is going to have that call with you. So check. I don't know what TLC did. Their responsibility. Number two, if Jazz is 22 and uh, uh, she is defending in that one reaction video she made. She says, my mom's the best mom in the world. No, she didn't do anything wrong. I'm not regretting any of my decisions right now. She did the right thing because I'm so glad she did that. I'm just a depressed person. I'm just going through hard times in my life. I've always been like this. And so she defends that. So that kind of is, if you're saying the person next door that you go to, husband and wife, it's, you know, it's loud, you know, what's going on? I want to go defend. And then she said, well, we're just having rough sex. And that's we do that every night. So unless move your apartment to a different place, or you're going to hear this every night because this is how we have sex and we're ever ha- happy about it. So what do you say now? Okay, you can now defend it. So if the daughter, who's now 22, an adult, is saying this, that's not something that, you know, they can do anything with. You know, if it's a kid, to me, the concern is, Five years ago, if it's 22, that's why they're saying five years ago because she was 17. Yeah, at that time, you're 100% right. I don't under my problem isn't with TLC. My problem is the 11 years ago ABC showing it with the verbiage that they're using, making it seem like this is okay. And then now this person's being turned into a hero as a mother, and other people are watching this, and you're hearing stories about how Dwayne Wade to defend DeSantis, if there's anything that you're getting with people that have trans kids. DeSantis uh, is uh, running Florida, okay? Dwayne Wade comes out and is being interviewed. I don't know if you saw this one or not, just recently. Yeah, and he says, well, you know, I just, you know, as much as I love Florida, and, you know, we love the no taxes and a lot of great things over there. We have a lot of great uh, friends. I just didn't feel safe for my child and all this other stuff, and now we're going to move in. They're living in L.A. right now because he's doing a whole Hollywood thing himself, Gabriel, all that stuff. Great, that's a choice that he made. But that, to me, would be the ultimate example of what a what a job uh, DeSantis is doing with the state of Florida. That he's, that he's forcing people like this to say, like, where does Jazz Jennings live right now? Are they living in South Florida? Florida. Yeah. South Florida. Broward Virtual School, by the way, is 15 minutes away in Coconut Creek. And, and the you can mo- go there right now. And, and, nah, the, and the mother, he's good. And the mother, and the whole family lives here? That's where they're at? I believe so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so for so, them, for, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I, I want to, you can finish, I'm sorry. Yeah, TLC, the lawyers, the age, where she's at today, DeSantis five years ago. I mean, let, me, let, me, let me give you a hypothetical. If, uh, if you saw a video of a father, um, um, an adult man says, every day I wake up my daughter and I grab the penetrator and say, you stick this in your vagina or I'll do it, would you arrest, would you, would you go and be like, okay, hold on there a minute. Like, let's, let's, let's go have a conversation with this family. I, I would contact that media company to say, what makes you think this is normal for you to play? Well, uh, and, and, and I would, I would want to uh, uh, investigate the parents that are doing that at the time. Uh, yes. I mean, now, uh, just knock on the door. Knock on the door. Is everything okay here? I mean, that, that sounded kind of like, what's the context of why? You're, no. Now, I understand the response is the dilation is a medical practice that jazz must, right. must do. But if jazz isn't doing it, 
Does that not imply Jazz is uninterested in doing it and saying you're going to wring their neck or hold or or, or do it? Don't for get them? it twisted. I, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I'm with you. I mean, there's no. Now, qu- not, let me address the law enforcement yeah. thing. Uh, victims don't prosecute; the state does. Uh, the victim is not necessary in the prosecution of a crime. If the police are made aware of a crime, it does not matter what the victim says. If a woman is battered by her husband and there is a witness. The police can say, ma'am, I understand you're claiming it was just rough sex and you do it all the time, but we have witnesses saying he was beating you in the face, and they will still, if they choose to, arrest that man. I don't know about that. This is not a strong case. The reason why it's not a strong case is because there's thousands of videos like this of parents who have said things like this about their kids, and people take it as a joke. To me, this is is catastrophic that the mother is turned into a hero. To me, that mother is a disaster and and a... menace to society because other mothers look at her as a as a uh, what do you call it as a hero so i would say i understand your argument i understand what you're saying somebody but, but my, need- my argument is knock on the door i didn't say criminally charge him uh, and 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 for for one thing on the twitter front i said where is ron DeSantis? you know what christina and jeremy could have said hey tim ron DeSantis made this illegal We'll take a look at what you're talking about thank you have a nice day instead they turned it into tim's a grifter and a liar you know, Ron DeSantis doesn't own a time machine. I don't even know about that part. I don't. But it's know. Like a we, we have Pusha here before, and we, you know, I'm not here defending Pusha. We last time I spoke to Pusha was uh, the last time she was here, so I don't know whatever that time frame was. Uh, no, but what what I'm my argument back to you is with that. Yeah, could they have handled it in a different way? Sure. If if you if you and I went and interviewed top 100 most liberal Americans who are all about this transgender community. And we asked them, name me the number one state or governor that you feel the least safest to be able to do anything you want to do with trans and LGBTQ and teaching kids about these types of things at an early age. I'm willing to bet $100,000 that 100 out of 100 will have Florida in their top three. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So, So the point is that that credit goes to the guy at the top that's getting a lot of heat for what he's doing to fight some of these battles.